We're in Colossians chapter 3. You could turn there. Of course, not only did I forget my Bible in my office, I forgot my glasses in my office. <clears throat> Getting older. It's filled with fun, isn't it? So I'll squint and see what happens here. <clears throat> Although we're in uh, verse 16, we're going to read a little bit more of the, the context there. So let's uh, pick up in verse 15, which is what we, uh, where we left off last time. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are not here because we are worthy. For in ourselves, we are not worthy to enter your presence, not worthy to hear you speak in the preaching of your word, or even, or even more so, to preach it. We are in need of pardoning grace to remove the guilt of our sin. We are in need of purifying grace to remove the practice of our sin. We are in need of the preserving grace as we struggle with the presence of our sin. So help us to grow in gospel understanding this morning, but also in gospel practice. We ask this in the name of Christ, the Word of God, who died for us and for our sins. Amen. <clears throat> we are Presbyterians, most of us anyway, right? And one of the things that sort of sets Presbyterians apart from perhaps some other denominations, some other uh, parts of Christianity, is that we believe in an educated pastorate. That can be good. Actually, it is very good. It can also be hard. One of the things that, that happened during the, the westward expansion within our country is that the groups that didn't believe in an educated pastorate we're able to put pastor upon pastor out into the West and just, and so if you look, you know, geographically, Presbyterians really struggled with the West. In fact, our own denomination, we're only now really starting to get a, a number of churches in the West, part of the Western part of this country. That's not the only problem that sort of arises with an educated pastorate. There's also a problem that is kind of a holdover from the old days before the Reformation, but that is sort of a de-emphasis on lay ministry. The idea that you are supposed to also be ministering to one another. That it's not just about me, or whoever the pastor is, ministering to you, but there's also to, meant to be a one another ministry. Paul hits on this here. And I think we need to be reminded and encouraged by what he says, but also how he says this is supposed to take place. So, our big idea this morning is that the word of Christ is sufficient for mutual ministry. First part of this I want us to look at this morning 
Is the reality, the fact, the bold claim perhaps, that the word of Christ is sufficient or the sufficient means of ministry? Paul's expectations for ministry is, is, were very different from perhaps ours, very different from the, the way in which the church has struggled throughout the, the centuries. And we must get in sync with Paul as opposed to Paul getting in sync with us. Right? Paul here is focused on the Word of Christ. He wants us to know that the Word of Christ is very significant and important. Now, what I don't mean, and what he doesn't mean, is opening up your Bible and finding all the little red words. Okay? That is a very um, unbiblical understanding of that phrase, the word of Christ. Because his word is greater than just the red words that you might find in your New Testament. Christ, this, the way this is constructed here, this phrase is constructed, it's mean, meant to understand that Christ is the source of the Scriptures. Now, we often talk about how the Holy Spirit has been at work to inspire the Scriptures, but we also have to recognize that Scripture talks about how it is the Spirit of Christ who is at work in the prophets of old, giving them understanding, giving these promises. First Peter chapter 1, verse 10 for instance, and 11, speaks of this. Concerning this salvation that is in Christ, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so Peter understood that the spirit that was at work in them to move them to prophesy and to make these predictions of the salvation that was to come was actually the spirit of Christ. And so we do a disservice if we kind of shrink the word of Christ down to those little red letters. It's the whole Bible that we are to understand by this, because Paul speaks not just of his own authority and not just of his own spirit, so to speak, but by the spirit of Christ in him, making known the glories of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And so it is there in the scriptures that Christ speaks to us. We recognize that in the context of this letter, which clearly reveals Jesus as the Creator and the Redeemer, He is supreme, and therefore His Word is intended to be supreme for us. Sufficient for us. When I was at General Assembly, there was a um, little seminar that took place with uh, Ligon Duncan and Al Mohler, and they were talking about the, uh, the, the current struggles with the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture because there are new attacks that are going on uh, against these. And they still believe that B.B. Warfield's classic work, The Inerrancy of, of Scripture, is sufficient to answer all of these things. That B.B. Warfield in his own day anticipated the challenges that would soon come in his day and the challenges that are even now being brought against the church and its understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture. And one of the things that they brought up that Warfield talks about is this. Your view of Jesus will essentially drive your view of Scripture. 
If you have a small Jesus, you're going to have a small scripture, meaning an insignificant scripture. If you have the Jesus that Paul reveals in Colossians, of him who made all things, who holds all things together, if you have that Jesus, then when he speaks, he speaks with absolute authority. And so what you end up having is a strong understanding of the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. That now you're able to stand upon this word because it's not just advice. It's not just good counsel. It's not just, you know, maybe one step above uh, Peter Drucker for business. You know what I mean? The authority of Scripture. And the church has talked about this with the Reformation, the idea of sola scriptura, which refers to the idea not that only we only read Scripture because we don't only read Scripture, but the idea that Scripture is our only final ultimate authority for faith and practice because that is what Jesus has spoken to us, the Scriptures. Now, the problem here in Colossae was that there were false teachers, as we've talked about, that were beginning to lead, lead them astray, lead them astray from the sufficiency of Jesus, and also lead them astray, therefore, from the sufficiency of Christ's Word. I was surprised this week, not this week, uh, this vacation. Um, my, in, my in-laws collect books, and sometimes they just find things, and, and they don't always check out to see how perhaps orthodox these books might be. I need to go through their little library and start tossing things out. I almost burned a book that I found because they, <laughs> I, 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 I almost took a picture of it and put it on our, our uh, Facebook account uh, for the church. Um, it was called Ask Your Angel. And I thought, Colossi! <laughs> because remember, they were looking to angels for wisdom and discernment. Christ was in a sense, perhaps too high and exalted and needed these angel intermediaries to understand what, you know, what was supposed to be going on. And this is just another one of those books. Not Ask Jesus, but, you know, uh, you could maybe Ask R.C. There is a book, and that's a good book, because it points you back to the Word of Christ. But Ask Your Angel didn't do that. It pointed you in a wrong direction. Christ, His Word. Paul says that this word of Christ must dwell in you richly. Again, this is where I struggle with sometimes how we translate things because the word of Christ is intended by Paul to be the subject of the sentence. If you look at the grammar in the Greek, it's pretty clear. So I don't know how it's let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I don't understand that. But the word of Christ must dwell in us richly. Okay, That you is a plural. That's one of the weaknesses of English. You can't tell whether a you is a plural you or a singular you. This is a plural you. He's speaking to the congregation. Now, the, the word of Christ will not dwell in you richly if it's not also dwelling in each of you richly, or at least most of you richly. Okay, so this is this is a call not just to the congregation, but it's also a challenge to us to remember this very important thing. Paul is not speaking just to the pastor; he's not speaking just to the elders. He's speaking to all of the people who belong to Jesus Christ, all of the people who have been united to Him and therefore share in the fullness of Christ. Okay, 
It's for every Christian. It must have a, this word must have a welcome home among us. We must recognize its authority. We must recognize its supremacy. We must recognize its sufficiency in all in which it speaks. So that we are prone to go there as opposed to somewhere else when it comes to those subjects about which it speaks. Ritually indicates not in meager portions, not snacks, okay? But abundant, regular portions. The reason why so many Christians and sometimes churches are very weak and on the brink of perishing is that they neglect the word of Christ. They have supplanted it with something else and are not rooted and grounded in God's word. The word, which in our worship service is intended to be preached, we all we all we understand that, right? Steve is supposed to preach the word of God, but we also are meant to pray the word of God. It's to inform our prayers in our worship service. We're also to sing the word of God. It informs you know, that which we sing. And so it's not just reduced down to this one thing called preaching the word, but it's meant to, to really guide the entire worship service so that it, that's part, just part of how it dwells richly in us. And that is part of what I really appreciate about our worship. So there's a lot of God's word in our worship. That's important. But it's also intended to, to really be the root of our discipleship. I, I, I don't know how many of you know, I've, I've kind of, the men know who, uh, who've been to the men's group. This quote by David Paulson has kind of been bouncing in my brain for months now since I read it. Discipleship does the hard work of needing what is true into how we actually live. And so part of what discipleship is, is it's meant to bring the word of Christ, not just to you, but to kind of work it into your life. Such that, as our, mission, our new mission statement says, we have gospel understanding that produces gospel practice. That's the kneading it in. Getting it so that the Word of God is now shaping our decisions, shaping our priorities. We become people of the book, not just here, but here. For those of you who cannot see me, from head to heart. Okay? And so it should fill our personal devotions as we seek to drive it deep as it talks about in Psalm 1 that Marty read for us, deeper with meditation and memorization. That's part of how we we kind of sink it deep down into our hearts. And so it transforms our wills. We toss it over in our minds. That's what meditation is. It's it's a word I've talked about before, but maybe not all of you were here or you forgot. It's that, that word often that talks about what a cow does is it chews the cud, kind of brings it back, works works it over again to more fully digest it, okay? To, know, to digest the Word of God, we kind of bring it back into our minds, we turn it over, we think about it from different angles, and we see how it applies to our particular circumstances as the sufficient and supreme Word of God. 
And this is part of why our men's group is going to be studying this book this fall, Bible Study. That's the name of the book. Because I want the men of this church to have a solid understanding of how to understand Scripture. And we'll see why that's going to full, kind of be very important in a little bit here. So the Word of Christ dwells in us as we seek greater gospel understanding and practice. Secondly, hopefully shorter than the first one, um, we minister to one another with the Word of Christ. The particular reason that Paul brings up that the Word of Christ must dwell in us richly is so that we can minister to one another. I'm going to take these phrases a little bit out of order, so please bear with me. They were to do this to one another with all wisdom. Paul envisions here a vibrant lay ministry taking place. That ministry is not the sole province of the elders, but it includes all of us. Some of us may do more of it. Uh, Some of us may have uh, um, more prominent places within that. But all of us are to engage in it in some way, some form. Wisdom. Paul says that it's supposed to, we're supposed to do this with wisdom, in all wisdom. And where does this wisdom come from? And we've seen this in Colossians, that Christ is the wisdom of God. That because we are united to Him and, and therefore have access to, the, to His fullness, that His wisdom comes to us. But more particularly, we should understand that wisdom comes to us not in some mystical kind of way, but through the Word of God. Proverbs, chapter 2. Don't be surprised if you hear a lot of Proverbs in the next month or so. I'm reading Proverbs in my own devotions. So, Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And so what the author of Proverbs wants us to understand is that the wisdom of God does not come to us through like a matrix download It comes as God speaks to us. And the place he speaks to us is in the scriptures. And so if we want the wisdom of God, we need to be in the scriptures. For that is where we find it. So that's a challenge for us. But note this as well. Marty read the parallel passage from Ephesians for us this morning. Note a difference here. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always. And so we see a lot of repetition between that passage and what we're looking at today here in Colossians. But what's interesting is that the same author, Paul, as well as the same other author, God, Here in Colossians talks about the Word, and there in Ephesians talks about the Spirit. They're doing the same thing. Word and Spirit joined together, working together. That ultimately, the Word is not at work unless the Spirit is working through the Word. The Spirit is not at work unless it's using the Word. That was one of the beautiful things that John Calvin did, is that he reminded us that these two things were meant to go together, sort of like the hypostatic union of Christ. Two natures, one person. You know, 
Some groups within Christianity focus on the Word, the Word, the Word. That's good, except they neglect the Spirit. The Spirit who inspired the Word, the Spirit who illuminates the Word so we can understand it, the Spirit who drives it deeper into our hearts. And so it's dry and academic. We Presbyterians are probably the ones most likely to do that, forgetting our heritage in John Calvin and John Owen and the Puritans. The other groups which in Calvin's day would be the Anabaptists particularly, they so focused on the Spirit that they neglected the Word. They thought, that, they thought that God still had new things to say, and so they neglected the, the, the teaching of Scripture and went beyond it in dangerous ways. And there are groups today who do the same sort of thing. Paul wants us to keep them together. Word and Spirit. We need this wisdom. This, what happens when we, when we do this to one another, so to speak? What are we supposed to be doing? Teaching and admonishing. The same two words we saw at the very end of chapter 1 of this very same letter when Paul talks about his ministry. And so your ministry is essentially meant to be similar to my ministry, although I don't expect to see you up here anytime soon. Okay, um, you know maybe Marty or Mike might have to fill in some Sunday if I'm deathly ill, but you know what I mean. Okay, and so the first one is really that idea of positive instruction. The second one again is that idea of correction. Someone has gone a little off the beaten path, and we need to kind of bring them back onto the path. And so you have a ministry to one another to positively instruct one another, and also to warn and correct one another. Again, that means that the elders are not the only ones who are to be teaching, not the only ones who are to be sitting down with you and sharing God's word with you and and kind of saying, you know, you've gone a little off here. Let's bring you back to what the Scripture teaches. We're not to be the only ones doing that. All of us uh, share in this thing. Remember what Paul said in Colossians 1, Him we proclaim, Christ, warning everyone, that's the admonishing, and teaching everyone, with all wisdom, note again, wisdom here, that we may, in the goal, present everyone mature in Christ. And so not only was Paul working with his team to present them mature in Christ, but they were meant to be working with one another to present each other mature in Christ. If you want to bring the full parallel over, which I think we should. And so you should each be increasingly able to teach one another as God teaches you. We see this in a larger context within Scripture. There was Paul. Who did Paul teach? Timothy and Titus. Who did Timothy and Titus teach? The congregations that had been placed in their care. And so we see this this thing taking place is that each of us, in a sense, should be somebody's Titus, to a Timothy, to a Paul, rather. But as we mature, we're all, we also become somebody's Paul to their Timothy or Titus. You are, you are intended by God to both receive instruction and correction from more mature Christians than you and to give instruction and correction to less mature Christians than you. And unless you're, you're fresh out of the regenerative spirit, there's someone who's less mature than you. Okay? And unless you're not even Paul, 
There's always someone more mature than you. Okay? And so we use the Word of God to admonish them, which is to correct one another in terms of life and doctrine. We recognize this when Paul speaks to Timothy in second letter, the third chapter. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We want to bring them the Scriptures. Okay. Paul then goes this odd phrase, brings this in, singing psalms in hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there are some commentators who think that when Paul talks about teaching and admonishing one another, that he's really talking about using psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to do that, that they're connected in a way, and that's the means by which they do that. I think that's it's grammatically possible, but it seems unlikely. I mean, we do teach and admonish as we sing songs to one another, but I don't think that's it. Okay? That's part of how we teach and correct one another, but that is not intended by Paul to be the only way that we teach and instruct one another. Part of what this means is that we will have a public ministry in worship. Some of you may have a public ministry in Sunday school or a small group leading that. Okay, But all of us should also have a personal ministry where we kind of sit down and just talk with someone over lunch or who knows what. One of the great things about going back to New Hampshire for part of our vacation was that I got to see two of my mentors, Bob and Jim. And I was a brand new baby, boom, Christian, 20 years old, completely messed up, more than I understood and more than they understood. And, and Bob was the guy who was leading the singles ministry at the church I began to attend as a new Christian. And so, you know, there was a little bit of a teaching there, but there was really the informal ministry of Bob to me, having me over to his house, working on projects with him. You know, I didn't do that stuff much with my dad. And all of a sudden, here I am. He had an old house that he and his wife were remodeling, (coughs) renovating. There was no end to the projects, okay? And he and I would, you know, scrape paint, work on the roof, whatever. I don't like working on roofs, by the way, just to remind you. That's how much I loved him. I worked on his roof. Um, And we would talk about life, and he would bring a scriptural perspective about things to my young heart that I needed to hear. And it was the same thing with uh, my friend Jim, whose house we stayed in while we were in New Hampshire. And, you know, part of it was formal. Uh, For a while, we met together and we studied Romans. Um, But it went beyond that. Again, I ended up at his house, helping him remodel bathrooms and put in bay windows, talking together about the Scriptures at the process, in the process. And so they had a, a formal ministry to me, but they also had a very informal ministry to me that has greatly changed who I am in many ways. So, let's get back to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. As you might know, there are some who argue that all three terms are referring to the psalms. 
those terms are used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in the Psalms. So they have a, a little bit of a point there. Because what they then do is say that we must only sing the Psalms in worship. How many of you have actually heard this? I know some of you have heard. Okay, good. Um, how many of you have struggled with it? Okay, good. At least one person, so I guess I ought to stay th- say this. All right. First off, what about the songs in the New Testament? Does that mean we can't sing those because they're not psalms? Are we to sing only about Christ and shadow and substance in the Old Testament? Are we also to sing about him as he has fully revealed to us the reality, as Paul talks about in Colossians 2, in the New Testament? But not only that, but we think about the regulative principle of worship, which may be a new phrase for you, and that's the idea that Scripture regulates worship for us, and we Presbyterians hold to that. How we understand that may differ, however, amongst ourselves. Scripture gives us the elements or the forms of worship. Why do we have a sermon? Because we have sermons in Scripture. Why do we pray in our worship service? Because we're told to pray in our worship services in Scripture. Why do we sing songs? Because we see the example and the commands in Scripture to do these things. Why do we confess our sins? Because Scripture tells us to confess our sins. Why do we confess our faith? Because Scripture tells us to do this. And so what we do in worship is is directly given to us in Scripture. But what's odd is, some people say that while in the other forms of worship, we are free to do something besides Scripture, or in addition to Scripture. When it comes to songs, however, we can only do psalms. Think about that for a second. When I preach the Word of God, am I just preaching the text of Scripture? I mean, that's all I'm saying. I'm just stringing together Bible quotes. No, I'm... I'm, helping you understand what Scripture says. And if I don't help you understand, that means I failed. When, you know, and so I'm not, we don't just limit ourselves, so to speak, to the actual words of Scripture. We help understand the words of Scripture. Okay? Scripture determines whether I'm preaching well or not. Okay? When we pray, are we only able to pray the words of Scripture? No. We don't have to just recite prayers from the Bible. We can other, we can, we can say other prayers that reflect the scripture, the scripture's teaching. Same thing with confession of sin, everything else. And I believe it's the same way. Why would it be, why would it be one way for every element of worship except songs? Our song should reflect the teaching of scripture. But it should, they should not be limited to only repeating Scripture. Does that distinction make sense? And so while the argument for some people sounds, um, you know, for exclusive psalms and worship sounds appealing, it really is out of step with everything else we do about worship. It's out of step with every other way in which we understand the regulative principle of worship. So... There's my rabbit trail. 
There's my soapbox, all in one. We're done there, okay? Um, so our, our, all of our worship, including our worship songs, must be rooted in the Word of Christ and, and teach us sound doctrine. Okay, So we help each other to grow in gospel understanding and practice using the Word of Christ. And now for the really short point. Thirdly, the heart of effective ministry is gratitude. The attitude in which we carry out ministry. Now, he, he specifically ties it to singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but I think it goes far beyond that. Okay, He ties it to thankfulness. It points us back to the grace that we have received and the response we have given. As we teach the fullness of grace, we need to rejoice. It's not an academic exercise. Our hearts have to be touched. If as a, if as a pastor, your heart is not uh, touched by, the, by what you're preaching, you're doing it wrong. Because there should be joy and gladness in the preaching of God's word because you're preaching the goodness of Christ to sinners such as yourself. And so as you teach, as you warn and equip, the, the, there should be gratitude because you recognize God's mercy to you in Jesus Christ. Okay? As we teach, there's no real place for, for bitter, angry spirits. We've seen those guys on TV or whatever. YouTube. Saw one when I was on vacation, I think it was. Nah, it was before vacation. You know, the guy, someone fell asleep in church. That would never happen here. <laughs> and he, he calls them out by name. And he didn't stop with that person because there was someone snickering back there. And so he starts chewing out that person. And basically this guy had a huge hissy fit. That's not the preaching of God's word. That's something completely different. Okay. Our preaching, our teaching, our singing is meant to be characterized by gratitude in our hearts. That's one of the things that ties these three things together. The peace of Christ Word of Christ, and name of Christ. Hearts, gratitude. There are all three of those. We're supposed to be grateful from our hearts because as our hearts are ruled by the peace of Christ, they will be filled with gratitude. Our hearts are vitally important to how we carry out our Christian walk in ministry. Proverbs. Chapter 4, verse 23, I think. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. He's trying to give wisdom to a young man that he might watch his heart, because the attitude of his heart will determine how he does everything in the world. And so we're to guard our hearts so that sinful attitudes and desires don't corrupt our hearts. One of the things that we did this last week, Tuesday, we went swimming in the Hudson River. Now, it depends where you are on the Hudson River as to whether or not you want to go swimming in it. 
Okay? I would not advise you going down by New York City and saying, let's go swimming in the Hudson. Not a good idea. If you were we were way up in the Adirondacks, it's not a bad idea. The water's clear, but what happens as it travels from the Adirondacks down to New York City? Increasingly, pollutants get tossed in it. And it becomes a habitat, so to speak, that is not really fit for swimming or drinking or anything else. I think that's a good metaphor for our hearts. Where the gospel is at work, our hearts are ready for ministry. And we have to be careful that we don't allow too many pollutants into our hearts through various ways. There's many ways. You know, media, our own thoughts, all that kind of stuff. It begins to pollute the heart so that it contaminates the ministry we try to do. It's very important for us to guard our hearts. And the only way we can guard our hearts is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Confession of our sin. Reminding, uh, the reminders of who we are in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and what he calls us to be. Guard your hearts, brothers and sisters. Hearts full of such gratitude love to express that gratitude with songs of worship. I think we have room to grow there. I think we have room to grow. That our worship be more joyful. Not that we're unjoyful. I just said room to grow. Hearts full of such gratitude love to share that message with other people who are in need. Whether they need salvation or they need sanctification. If you love the word of God and your hearts are filled with joy because of what it says about us, you will want to share that. So, the biblical vision of ministry includes a vibrant ministry of the Word of Christ to the people of Christ by the people of Christ. It is because Christ is supreme that His Word is sufficient and has authority. And since we're united to Christ and therefore to one another, we have both the Word and the wisdom of Christ in increasing measure so that we grow in gospel understanding and gospel practice. Only hearts that are changed by this gospel of grace will thankfully share that gospel in song, in evangelism, discipleship. And so, is Christ reshaping your heart by His gospel, by His word? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that You have not left us to to ourselves that you sent your Son to us, that he might explain you to us, he might exegete you to us. That not only that, but he sent the Spirit so that we might have the Word of God. He sent the Spirit so that we might understand the Word of God. He sent the Spirit so that we might apply the Word of God. So we're grateful for what you have given us. Father, help us to be wise and diligent by that very same Spirit to respond to the promptings we need to pray, to read, to share. 
so that the Word and Spirit are working in our lives so that Christ is glorified as He ought to be. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.